This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald. Thank you for listening to this PowerCat podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode of the PowerCat podcast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming a subscriber to GoPowerCat.com. We cover the Wildcats like no one else with our VIP customers enjoying one-of-a-kind coverage from our team of professional journalists. And sign up today for an annual subscription to GPC and grab a 30% discount on your first year. And now here's the PowerCat Podcast. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. discovered your link to gopowercat.com's powercat pregame podcast presented by robin's motor company and it starts right now now let's go to the wtc gig powered studios here's your host gopowercat.com publisher tim fitzgerald the Kansas State Wildcats look to regroup from their first loss of the season, the 26-13 setback at Oklahoma State, as the Cats open their Big 12 home schedule with the first of three straight home games on Saturday against the Baylor Bears inside Bill Snyder Family Stadium. The game between the Cats and Bears kicks off at 2.30 p.m. and will be televised nationally on ESPN2. The game can be heard across the 39-station K-State Sports Network with Wyatt Thompson on the call, former K-State quarterback Stan Weber as analyst, and Matt Walters on the sidelines calling the action. Welcome to the PowerCat pregame podcast. I am Go PowerCat publisher Tim Fitzgerald, and we are fueled by Robbins Motor Company, where they strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships, selling quality cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, and offering top-notch parts and service. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. K-State offense has been propelled by a rushing attack that has averaged 241.5 yards per game to rank 17th in the nation. But the Wildcats stalled on the ground last Saturday at Oklahoma State as they fell to 3-1 and on the season. The Bears head into the weekend with a 4-0 record after holding on for a 23-21 victory over Iowa State in their Big 12 opener. The offense is dynamic with quarterback Charlie Brewer throwing for 972 yards and 10 touchdowns with no interceptions. While three receivers have more than 150 yards this year, led by Den- Denzel Mims at 335 yards and five touchdowns. Skylar Thompson has thrown for 604 yards and four touchdowns for the Cats. Both he and Brewer are among the top 15 QBs nationally in terms of consecutive pass attempts 
without throwing an interception. On defense, Baylor ranks second in the Big 12 by allowing 16.2 points per game, just .2 points behind conference leader K-State. Yes, there are many intriguing matchups in this contest, and let's start delving deeper into the game between the Wildcats and Bears with the GoPowerCat.com roundtable session. With Ryan Wallace, Riley Gates, and D. Scott Fritchen. Gentlemen, welcome to the show as you do every week. All we seem to know about Kansas State going into Oklahoma State, not all, but much, was washed away by a really lackluster performance, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Ryan Wallace, how troubling was what you saw in that 26-13 loss at Oklahoma State? God, I don't even know where to start, Fitz. It was... Well, I mean, let's just start up front because obviously um, with any offense, uh, regardless of what scheme you run, but particularly with what Courtney Messingham and Chris Kleiman, you know, have installed here at Kansas State, it, you have to have an offensive line that is beating guys um, in the trenches, that, that's, that's getting push um, so that you can have a running attack and therefore you can, you know, alleviate some of the issues on the outside as far as coverage goes, so that your wide receivers can get open with play action passes and things like that. So when your offensive line can't get any push, um, then you're, you can't run the ball and you have wide receivers just in general that struggle to separate on their own. So uh, the scheme just isn't going to work. But um, overall, Fitz, to, to kind of bring everything down, kind of uh, the, the, the best way I can, I can put it is that Am I concerned about it moving forward? No. And the reason is because it was just so out of character for that offensive line to mis-execute on so many different blocking schemes that I just don't feel like it's something that's going to be a trend for a group that is as veteran as they are. To me, it wasn't so much the the scheme, the game plan uh, that failed. It was the execution, and I, I... just don't see that becoming a trend for these guys. Riley Gates, they showed a three-man front for most of the game, being Oklahoma State, and now Baylor will come to Manhattan also with a three-man front. Using that 3-3-5 defense that West Virginia introduced to the Big 12 and now doesn't use, but other teams are using it. It is effective in this conference. And strangely, it was effective against the run with Oklahoma State, but that's not always true with a three-man front unless you got the horses. Baylor's maybe got the horses to do it, which is kind of impressive. Well, we've seen Baylor do it, you know, in the, in the first four games this season. And then against Iowa State, Baylor had a lot of success in terms of shutting down their running game. Um, you know, that's something that that I spoke with with uh, Tim Watkins from, from our uh, Baylor 24-7 site about in the uh, behind enemy lines piece was just the fact that Baylor's defensive line was so good against Iowa State and um, was able to shut down that running game. I think if you're a K-State fan, you have to be a little bit concerned given how physical the Oklahoma State defensive line was, how many struggles you had as an offensive line in terms of establishing that running game. And we saw, you know, kind of like Wally mentioned, how much this offense will struggle when the running game is not able to be set up. It goes without saying, you know, it's it's kind of a, a common trend in football. You know, you have to establish that run to set up the pass. It feels like it's never been more true for K-State than with this team. It almost feels like they're lost when they don't have a running game. And so I don't 
obviously know the the secrets to beating this three three five. I'm sure that uh, Connor Riley and, and Courtney Messingham have have something schemed up here to to really attack it. But it's a very intriguing matchup, no doubt. It is, and I know that we're just in our infancy of understanding the ins and outs of all this offense. There's a lot more to learn about it, but it seems like. Not even seeing one game, you knew one thing was true. They have to have an effective running game, or at least a running game with purpose, one that's physical, that wears down the defense. Even if the yardage doesn't pile up, they make a point of being physical. They weren't physical at Oklahoma State. They didn't establish anything. And Oklahoma State won the the trenches, at least with its defense against K-State's offense. But D. Scott, K-State's rushing game, faces a real stern test against Baylor. Yeah, you know, K-State executed so well in the the power running game um, for the first three games. You know, 840 yards, their fastest three games start since 1949. And all of a sudden, they have 32 carries for 126 yards and one touchdown at Oklahoma State. What happened to that rushing offense? Baylor is 25th and giving up just 103 rushing yards per game. That's the biggest increase improvement in rush defense in the Big 12 Conference. Baylor ranked ninth in the Big 12 in rushing defense each, each of the past two seasons. Now, an interesting trend to follow on Saturday is the fact that K-State has rushed for more than 200 yards against Baylor each of the last four outings. That's their longest streak against a Big 12 opponent right now. But it will be interesting to see what K-State is able to do against this 3-3-5 defense. I'm really impressed with James Lockhart and uh, James Lynch off, off the sides. Uh, it's going to be an interesting battle. It really will be. And I will talk to Tim Watkins from Bears Illustrated, our 24-7 Baylor site, right after this roundtable. But he, of course, really likes Charlie Brewer. And uh, I have mixed feelings about Brewer, but he does one thing for sure. He knows how to win a game late, Ryan Wallace. He did that against Iowa State. Up 20 to nothing, they missed an extra point. He just knew it was going to come back and haunt him. Sure enough, Iowa State finds its offense and goes down the field and takes the lead at 21-20 in the final moments. And somehow Charlie Brewer gets that team down the field far enough to kick a field goal, which has not been easy for Baylor this year. They've been awful in field goal kicking. Charlie Brewer delivers, and I guess that's the highest compliment you can pay a quarterback. You know, they can be strong-armed, they can be accurate, but if they are leaders in the clutch, that is an just an important trait, and that's Charlie Brewer. Yeah, and you know, with with Brewer, it's interesting. I, I think uh, when you look back at last week with Spencer Sanders, he's a guy that I will say K State uh, did pressure early on, and early on Sanders didn't look as comfortable. But he's a guy you you almost fear maybe if you overpressure, he he could do things on the run. With Charlie Brewer, you know, he has so many good assets around him. Um, with a very veteran wide receivers group with Mims and Platt and Sneed and Thornton. You know, Jamichael Hasty is a running back. Lovett is a running back. So he has all these weapons around him that, to be, to be quite honest, Charlie Brewer doesn't have to be, you know, the greatest quarterback in the world because a lot of those guys can make him look better than he is. So to me, you kind of have to cut the head off of, of Baylor's offense, and that is Charlie Brewer. So 
Um, you know, if, if you're Scotty Hazleton, this might be a game where you dial up a little bit more pressure, um, really take it at the, the Baylor offensive line and try and get into Charlie uh, Brewer's head early and kind of throw him off a little bit because if you really look at – what Baylor's done, and I know that they're just now kind of starting to get into that rhythm with Matt Rule, you know, that, that first year, um, and even last year at times was still kind of getting used to his scheme. But if there's one thing to point out, it's that Matt Rule has led Baylor into a total of eight true road games since he took over uh, in conference play. And to date, they have only won one. And that was back in 2017 in Lawrence against KU. And they've been beaten by an average score in those true road games of 39 to 17. Mm. So they're not nearly as good outside of Waco as they are in the friendly confines. And again, I think that starts with this offense and really, really getting into the head of Charlie Brewer early and not allowing him to get into that quick rhythm of, of getting all those playmakers involved. Well, you can drop the mic now, but I don't advise it because it's your phone. So <laughs> you need that. That was a great stat. Riley, K-State showed pressure. They got some pressure on the quarterback. That was a question that we wondered about this K-State defense through this first couple of games, and even a little bit more at Mississippi State. Were they going to be able to consistently get pressure? Wyatt Hubert came back, got a couple sacks, but most of all, they did offer enough pressure to get Oklahoma State into some turnovers. Must do this game, right? Well, yeah, and you know, Charlie Brewer is more experienced than Spencer Sanders was, but Charlie Brewer is not a senior quarterback coming into this mm -hmm. game he hasn't been through tons and tons of uh you know game after game knowing what everything's all about he obviously hasn't faced this defense either i think that k-state can take a lot of what it did against spencer sanders and use it against charlie brewer now we saw spencer sanders make two well you know the second interception uh the one that daryl patterson got kind of a uh, bounced off the hands not necessarily a bad pass but that one that went went to uh, elijah sullivan that was a bad pass by spencer sanders but a heck of a uh, defensive pressure brought by k-state i thought they rattled him obviously forced a young quarterback into a very poor throw they can do that with charlie brewer he is not uh, like, like I said, he hasn't faced this defense. Right. He doesn't know exactly what it's going to be like to come in here to Bill Snyder Family Stadium and um, be put in, under that kind of pressure. And uh, the, the running game for Baylor wasn't all that great against Iowa State either. And I think you can take a lot of what we said about K-State, you know, needing to establish a run in order to pass. Well, I think if they can find a way to shut down the run, you put a lot of pressure on Charlie Brewer and maybe you force him into some mistakes. So it's, it's definitely, a, you know, he's a quarterback that has experience, but I don't know of that he has enough experience yet to really um, come into a, a tough, hostile environment that I think Bill Snyder Family Stadium is going to be and, and make those plays if you can get those pressures on. Well, Baylor, like Kansas State, does the running back by committee. They spread the ball around. So they kind of go to the hot hand. It makes it a little bit more difficult to take away that running game altogether. But, you know, it just comes down to Kansas State pressuring the line of scrimmage, dominating on the line of scrimmage. If K-State's winning the battle in the trench both ways, they're going to be in good shape. And they really didn't win the battle in the trenches on defense against Oklahoma State. They looked really good at times up front. They did a nice job in the red zone. They got gashed by big plays. It was just unbelievable the amount of yardage they were able to put up Oklahoma State and only score 26 points. And D. Scott... That's what matters. You keep teams off the scoreboard. It 
sounded like a Tom Hayes defense. I mean, they <laughs> they did a lot of bending and they didn't break. They were good on third down. They were great in the red zone, forcing four field goals. Probably a good sign moving forward. I think so. You know, uh, what I learned from Chris Kleiman after the first loss is, you know, he's a points guy. That's what he said. I'm a points guy. I don't care about the yards. Um, we'll see how that pays off down the stretch. But, uh, you know, K-State allowed 544 yards, gave up 10 explosive plays, but surrendered just 26 points with four field goals. It's the first time I looked this up. It's the first time in 10 years K-State's held a team under 30 points when giving up more than 500 yards mm. in a game. I think it's a little admirable that defense to be able to do that. Um, are there areas to address in, in the in the rush defense? Sure, but you know, for all the athleticism and playmakers that the Wildcats face against Oklahoma State, I'm not too sure that any other team will have that three prong attack like Oklahoma State did. You know, they'll, they'll be facing Platt and Mims and, and Hasty in this game for for Baylor, but. Uh, I'll tell you what, seeing it up up in person, you know, seeing Hubbard and, and Wallace and Sanders was something. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with that. You know, I wrote about this on Sunday um, after the Oklahoma State game was, yes, it was a little bit disheartening to see K-State give up an 84-yard touchdown run, a 50-plus yard pass down the sidelines. Those are the plays that can't happen. However, A, I honestly came away a little bit more encouraged than discouraged by the defensive performance because Oklahoma State should have scored four more times, honestly. They, they shouldn't have kicked field goals those four times. So I was encouraged by that. And as I wrote about in that story, they're not going to face an offense like that again in the Big 12, You know, maybe with the exception of when Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma come to town. But that was probably the team that has the most explosive weapons on their roster, You know, quarterback, running back, and receiver. So, yeah, it wasn't good to see that. Um, I'm not saying that no Big 12 team has explosive playmakers that can burn K-State, but I don't think you're going to see a quarterback, running back, and wide receiver work so well against the defense. And so as as tough as it is to start 0-1, maybe it was good that they kind of got you know thrown around a little bit and, and experienced a, an offense like Oklahoma State, and now they can come back, face a Baylor, face a TCU that lacks those weapons and really get after them. Well, Hasty's good, but he's no Hubbard, and Mims is good, and he's no Wallace. I'm going to call a wash on the quarterback, maybe less athletic, but Charlie Brewer has a little more experience than the freshman at Oklahoma State. But let's turn our attention back to Kansas State's offense. We expect them to be once again without Malik Knowles. How would Coach Ryan Wallace address that situation with improving the passing game and making it more of a reasonable threat? First of all, I mean, again, it just goes back to harping on the run and kind of getting back to, to the bread and butter. And, and I think one of the big things that was lacking um, uh, last Saturday in Stillwater, it reminded me a, a lot of what we saw a year ago in the sense of uh, some interesting choices on first down and maybe some wide receiver patterns that, given the uh, – the abilities, the talent level without Malik Knowles on the field that you do have at wide receiver with, with the Wildcats, maybe some, some route trees that were just a little bit too long, that, that took a little bit too much time to develop um, for Skyler Thompson, and therefore you saw him get a little bit more flustered, seemed a little bit more uncomfortable, uh, and had a knack for kind of scrambling more than we saw in those first three games of the season. And, and so to me, you know, if you're Courtney Messingham, maybe it's just getting dialing it back a, a little bit more. Uh, I, I realize from an execution standpoint, maybe they saw some things on first down that led them to want to pass more. 
Um, but get back to running the ball. Get back to those third and manageable situations and, and chip away. And I, you're going to have to chip away because going through Baylor's play-by-play -play, uh, throughout the season so far, this is a defense um, that, you know, the longest run that they've allowed from the line of scrimmage so far this year is just 21 yards. Mm. And that's only one of nine rushes that has totaled more than 10 yards. <laughs> and three of those, I should add, came in mop-up duty against Stephen F. Austin where uh, the Lumberjacks were able to, you know, take it to Baylor's second and third string. So you're going to have to chip away, uh, and that's fine. You know, that's what K-State is, is based around. But get back to those power-running plays on first down to make second and third down more manageable, and, and don't ask your wide receivers to be running these 20, 25-yard patterns. Oh, I'm with you. I, I think they asked too much. And also, Riley, real quick on this note, you mentioned Skyler fleeing the pocket. That young man needs to step up into his pocket if it exists, and it did often at Oklahoma State. Trust his line, give his receivers a little bit more time, and flee the pocket up the middle if you have to, and not around the edges where you really expose yourself to the defense coming at you quicker than you get, get upfield. He's got to be smarter about this. Absolutely does. And, you know, it kind of looked like the Skylar revolt a little bit, a little maybe bit. a little bit uh, scared, um, not confident in his abilities. And we know that that's not him. We know that Skylar is um, – is, is more confident in his abilities coming into this game, into this season really as a whole. Now, there's some things that I think we might not see necessarily that he sees in the pocket and, you know, maybe in some of those situations rolling out was probably the better idea. We just didn't know it, but anybody that, you know, halfway knows football knows he was escaping that pocket A, too often, B, way too quick. Um, and like you said, that pocket was there a lot of the time. So I think that he may have been putting a little bit too much pressure on himself to go and make this outstanding play at Oklahoma State, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case in this one. I, I expect to see him in there a little bit more, a little bit more confident and making those plays. Hopefully his receivers can get open and, and give him that time and the confidence to throw out of the pocket. Frustrated Skylar Thompson, bad body language Skylar Thompson are signs of trouble for Kansas State. That's and, not how you win. <laughs> yeah, and it, it showed up at Oklahoma State. So far, Baylor has beaten Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, that's Texas San Antonio, and they beat Rice, which is not a very good team, 21-13, and then they went home to open the big 12 against Iowa State. It was a bad game, or I'm not going to say bad game. It was a defensive struggle in the first half, and then the 23-20 victory. We still don't know a whole lot about Baylor. I feel like this is going to sort out a lot of things about Baylor, and it's good for Kansas State now. Five of eight at home as they finish up this regular season, so that's very positive. One of those games is Kansas, so you've got six of eight in the state and probably in front of a majority of K-State fans. But winning the Big 12 home opener is so important for this team, D. Scott. They need to get off to the start. They need to cleanse themselves of the sins of Stillwater and get back in the win column, go into their second open week, and get ready for TCU, Oklahoma, and on through the gauntlet of this conference. I like how you said that. <laughs> okay, yeah, K-State's next three games are absolutely important. Um, I wrote about this before the season started. Uh, it's my key stretch. K-State's last five of the last seven against Baylor. Has lost four of the last five against TCU. 
in his last last four against Oklahoma by a combined score of 186 to 66. It's the refs. <laughs> I'm not saying that history dictates the future, but K-State has a great opportunity to start things off on the right foot on Saturday. White Hubert talked about it during the week that he thinks this team is tighter and more capable of coming together and handling adversity than it did a year ago. You know, you look at this, you win two of the next three, and all of a sudden you're five and two, and one win away from a bowl berth. But I get the feeling the squad would be happy with more than six wins this year. Yeah, I would agree. Ryan Wallace, let me say this. I think there's three good teams in this conference, one great team in that group. Oklahoma's great. Texas I'm not fully sold on. And Oklahoma State, maybe they are pretty good. Maybe that was two good teams playing in Austin a couple of weeks ago. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got Kansas Tech and in all likelihood West Virginia. We're going to learn more about the Mountaineers when Texas wanders into Morgantown this Saturday. And then there's that middle, that whether it's soft or firm. We don't know yet if the Big 12 is good in the middle of the conference. And that middle of the conference is playing each other this weekend. we got Baylor, Kansas State, and TCU at Iowa State. There's going to be a lot of sorting out going on this weekend. The first full weekend of five games, everyone in the conference playing. I don't know. I, I think that TCU-Iowa State game is very intriguing to me, but this conference is going to sort itself out, isn't it? Yeah, and I thought D. Scott brought up a really good point. As far as K-State's concerned, this seems like, even before the season, this seems like the kind of three-week stretch that's going to define this team, regardless of what happened before. Yeah. Whether they are lost to Mississippi State, whether they beat Mississippi State, it doesn't really matter as far as when it comes to conference play and what's, what, what you have looking ahead. Uh, you should be, be able to beat Baylor at home, and you should be able to beat TCU. But at the same time, as D. Scott pointed out, you know, it, recent trends show that these two teams, uh, those two games are becoming more and more competitive. Um, this, this will be a really good, um, again, kind of a barometer uh, of, of how this team is, especially when you have a bye week kind of sandwiched in between. Um, as far as my gut reaction, I think Baylor's probably pretty legit um, about like what you would expect them to be right there solidly in the middle. Uh, I think Iowa State is going to round out. You know, they're very close to being possibly undefeated on the season. It just hadn't quite gone the way maybe everybody expected. And TCU is one of those teams that I'm probably least sold on of the three. Um, but if you let Max Dugan get some more reps, they're one of those teams that if you're K-State, you're happy you're playing them here in two weeks as opposed to towards the end of the season. Well, if you ask me outside of Lincoln Riley what coaches I like, I will say Matt Rule at Baylor, Campbell at Iowa State, and, of course, Patterson at TCU. So they are amongst some really well-coached teams typically. And, Riley, you have not been sold on some of these teams. Baylor, are you sold yet on the Bears? I'm not. I mean, you pointed out the, the non-conference schedule. That Rice game is really telling. Like, I don't know why. I just keep going back to the Rice Me game. Me too. Um, I think Baylor should have beaten Rice by a whole lot more than that. They did not challenge themselves in the non-con. And then you come home, have a big opportunity to beat an Iowa State team that is failing to meet expectations right now that you could have really made a statement. And you almost blow a, you know, however many point lead in the points. fourth quarter. Giving up 21 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, that that was insane to watch. So, 
you know, I might be eating my words on Sunday morning when we wake up if Baylor came in, you know, came into Manhattan and won this game. Um, and then at that point, I would probably start to buy into what Baylor's doing this year. But I just, I have not seen enough. I have not seen them play a quality enough opponent for me to go, man, this Baylor team should probably be taken seriously as one of the top teams in the conference. If I may, just to be a contrarian here, but, and, and this very well could be a representation of how weak their schedule has been so far. But I found out this week, Baylor's one of only seven teams in the country and the only Big 12 team represented where they can claim both a top 20 scoring offense and a top 20 scoring defense. We will find out. We will find out. That's fair. That scoring offense is very intriguing, but let's be blunt here. Those numbers came against Stephen F. Austin and Texas San Antonio because the last two weeks they've combined for 44 points and gotten two victories. You average 22 points a game and get wins, your defense is probably pretty good, and I think that's the case with Baylor. Well, we're going to sort out a whole lot about the conference this weekend. It's going to be very fun. If you ask, am I sold on Baylor? No, I don't know enough. TCU, no, I don't know enough. Iowa State, no, I don't know enough. And unfortunately, Kansas State, no, I don't know enough yet. Uh, It's still early in the season, just four games in for the Wildcats. Well, that'll bring it to a close, boys. Thank you very much. It's time to move on to Tim Watkins, publisher of Bears Illustrated, the 24-7 sports Baylor site. Tim, how are things down there today? Things are going great. They're hot, and they're probably not as rainy as they're going to be this weekend up in uh, Kansas. Let's get into this with the uh, Bears and Wildcats. Let's start with this. Baylor's 4-0, and brother. They looked good. They looked bad. They looked good on Saturday against Iowa State, and they were good at the end and won that game 23-21. That was a weird game to watch. It was a weird game to watch and cover uh, for Baylor fans as well. I mean, from the highs of going up 20 to nothing, really dominating the the majority of the third quarter, scoring on that last drive in the second half, getting the ball, driving again, going up 14 to nothing, uh, scoring another touchdown a couple of drives later to go up 20 to nothing. And then really the Brock Purdy show broke out in Waco, Texas. You know, Baylor had tried to really focus on keeping him inside the pocket because he's just so dangerous when he gets out in the open field his receivers know how to work with extra time and space they work well with him when he is making things happen and keeping plays alive and they got a couple of penalties to go their way they got a couple of great catches to go their way Baylor lost contain they got a couple of scores and all of a sudden Baylor was losing a game that they were dominant in and uh, luckily enough for the Baylor fans uh, they were able to uh, have Charlie Brewer's third game winning drive in the last year year plus uh, to to get a much needed win and go to 4-0. And it was a made field goal, which has been a bugaboo for the Bears this season. It has been. Uh, Noah Rauschenberg, our true freshman signee as part of the 2019 class, was out. And he's been mainly doing kickoffs, which he has an extremely powerful leg. He's missed the last two games against Rice and Iowa State. So they had a, a redshirt freshman who really came into the season. He made a couple of uh, extra points in the Texas Bowl when starter Connor Martin hurt his, uh, hurt his leg. He's out for the year. So John Mayers is now the, the, the Bears kicker. He missed a 38 or 39 yard excuse me, at Rice on the opening drive, missed the 38-yarder to open up uh, the drive against uh, Iowa State. 
So what does Baylor do? They ask him to nail a 38-yarder with 26 seconds left to, to win the game, and of course, it goes right through. That's beautiful. That That's a fun way to end a game. Charlie Brewer is pretty special, though. You talked about how clutch he is. He's just a really good, solid quarterback, and the Bears are in good hands, aren't they? They are. They are. I, I think it's it's finally his team. You know, he was the third string guy between Anu Solomon and Zach Smith uh, his freshman year back in 2017. Solomon had concussion problems, couldn't play. Zach Smith got banged up, and all of a sudden, the uh, the, uh, the the true freshman from Lake Travis is your starting quarterback. Um, then uh, last year, they rotated between Brewer and uh, a, a graduate transfer, um, Jalen McClendon. Really, Brewer was the better quarterback. Most Baylor fans saw that the coaches eventually saw that and gave them the reins but really throughout the the summer through the fall practices and fall camp this has been brewer's team and he's playing with that confidence knowing that you know he can make a mistake and he's not going to be pulled it is his team and, and really he hasn't made a lot of mistakes he had, he had a fumble against rice in the third quarter that ended the scoring drive but outside of that he's been brilliant so far this year if there's one similarity between these teams it's the fact that baylor like kansas state is kind of doing the running back by committee thing. How's that working out for Baylor? That's been a focus point for the last three years for Matt Rule and his staff. He wants to have a, a running back committee, not one guy uh, toting the rock 20 to 25 times. And really in full transparency, I don't think the Bears have a guy that is capable of that. I think their best pure running back in terms of the running game and the passing game is Treston Ebner, electric junior who was a uh, came to Baylor as a, a three low four star wide receiver commit. They moved him to running back and he's been really, really good. He has problems in uh, pass protection. He has problems with injury as well. He's been banged up, uh, got banged up in the UTS a game a little bit, but you're talking about a guy that I think scored four touchdowns in the first two games on like 12 touches. So he's an electric player, but he doesn't have the body style or the game to really touch the ball 20, 25 times. Senior to Michael hasty is probably their most well-rounded. He's also the least explosive um, and probably the, the most likely to, to bounce a play out for a negative three game. John Lovett is probably their best true running back, but he's not very good in pass pro. He's He's not a good receiver out of the backfield, and he has some fumbling issues as well. But if they need a, a guy to make a big play and just run north and south, love it's usually the guy. Very interesting. And I really like Denzel Mims at receiver. Talk about this receiving group for Charlie Brewer. You know, Mims was a guy that was on a lot of all Big 12 teams after his sophomore year. He took a little bit of a backseat last year with Jalen Hur taking over as the alpha for that passing attack. You know, Mims had, had not played with a lot of confidence. He'd let balls get on him. He'd have drops, unfortunate drops at times the last two years. This year, he's been outstanding. I think he realizes that it's his senior year, that he is the leader. And quite honestly, every time he stepped on the field this year, he's been the best player out there. He has been dominant. Iowa State had no answer for for him on man-to-man -man coverage. He had two touchdowns over 100 yards, really through two and a half quarters. Iowa State started doubling, even triple teaming him at times, rolling a safety over the top to remove those big plays. So Baylor's true sophomore uh, wide receiver, Tyquan Thornton, took over the game at that point. Baylor has a lot of depth and even yeah. more speed at that wide receiver position. The staff feels confident of running seven, even eight guys out there with confidence and having them produce. Now, be careful, K-State might try to still one of those extra receivers laying around because they're a little short <laughs> at that position right now. The big concern yep. for K-State is this three-three-five defense Baylor's running and doing a really good job with it. When exactly did they go to this defense? 
They they started to experiment it late last year to varying results. You know, at times it got gashed in the running game. Uh, Kansas State last year had some big big runs against that three man front. They kind of experimented and sprinkled it in. Really, this summer and fall, they decided this was going to be their primary defense and really build the team to run this way. I think it puts a lot more speed on the field, which is something that Baylor struggled with last year. There were really two ways to beat Baylor: big plays and running the ball. Baylor uh, allowed just a shocking amount of big plays, either through the ground or through the air last year. Now they're in the top 15 uh, in the country in 10 plays or more allowed. Mm. This is a team that has really, really stopped big plays. I think the three-man front fits what they do from a read and react standpoint as well. Safety play has been a major problem for Baylor. Really, right now they're asking Chris Miller to just see ball, hit ball, and that's what he does best. He's been a great player in that manner this season. Clay Johnston is a tackling machine. He had 11 tackles at halftime against Iowa State. And uh, uh, the Lynch brothers, Blake and James Lynch, Blake, the linebacker, is tremendous in coverage. He's a linebacker playing on the outside now, but has corner experience, has safety experience, even played Wildcat quarterback and wide receiver uh, during the Art Bryles and Jim Grove years. And then James Lynch is probably the Bears' best overall player. He has been a true force of nature at the defensive end position, allowing Baylor to create some type of pressure with just a three-man front. Yeah, he's a true NFL defensive end in a three-man front. It's really impressive. And Bravion Roy, that nose tackle, gives you the kind yep. of beef in the middle you have to have to run this kind of defense. Yeah, his his ability to draw those double teams in the middle allows Clay Johnson to come up and make those tackles. It allows Chris uh, Miller to come up and make those tackles. So he's been an integral part. He missed a couple of series against Iowa State in the first half. Baylor fans held their breath. Um, luckily, it was just a little bit of tiring from the heat. He's a very, very big man, and it was very, very hot on Saturday in Waco. Um, so luckily, he was back. He played most of the game and, and just really controls the line of scrimmage for the Bears. But the biggest question for Baylor is really facing a good rushing attack. Yeah. They haven't seen one yet. Iowa State struggles to run the ball. Rice struggles to run really anything on offense at times. They played UTSA and SFA. Neither, I think, or would ever be deemed as a powerhouse. So this is by far the best rushing attack they have seen. I mean, even if Kansas State is just an above average to good running attack, it's still vastly superior to anything Baylor has seen. So it's going to be a big test for this three-man front to see what they can do against a team that can run the ball. Well, that is an interesting matchup. Baylor football has been through a lot in year three of Matt Rule, correct? Right. Um, fans and, you know, those following Baylor such as yourself have to feel pretty good about the position of the program in year three. We do, and I think Baylor does. I mean, uh, they extended uh, Matt Rule's contract through 2027 earlier this week. They just announced a few minutes ago that athletic director Mac Rhodes has got a 10-year contract now that goes through 2029. There's a lot of confidence in the program. I think from rebuilding a, a team that was marred by scandal, um, marred by bad fits, lost pretty much an entire recruiting class, had a lot of talent leave the program that, in full transparency, probably should have left the program. And it's funny enough, a lot of those kids haven't ended up anywhere else and been contributors. Hmm. There's a reason for that. And Matt Rule has really tried to redo and rebuild the foundation of a culture that is sustainable. Uh, and that's been the biggest thing. I mean, Baylor has won six games in a row. Three of that has been now against Power Five conference opponents uh, with, with Texas Tech, with Vanderbilt back to last year, and then now with Iowa State. Six-game winning streak. A lot of the, uh, the, a lot of the doubts and concerns of a 1-11 
seven season back in 2017 been washed away. Baylor went to a bowl game last year. Really, in the modern era, he's only the fourth coach to take Baylor to a bowl game back to the Grant Taft days. So, and then one of those is Jim Grove, who was only here for a year. Really, success outside of Grant Taft and our Browse has been lacking in Baylor Bear football history. Matt Rule is trying to. Uh, bridge and build another success point for the Baylor Bears. You know, something that Kansas State fans know all too well is having your program tied to an entity and only really experience success with that entity. What happens when he leaves? Yeah. Didn't work out last time for Kansas State. I, I think it will work better out this time. Yep, it appears so, so far. Tim, we appreciate it very much. It's Tim Watkins, the publisher of Bears Illustrated on the 24-7 Sports Network. That's going to do it for the first half of the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. Stay with us. Our analysts are waiting on the other side of the break. We will be right back. The experts from GoPowerCat.com will return with more on the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Joining you once again, it's Tim Fitzgerald and Go PowerCat football analyst Marcus Watts. Welcome back to the PowerCat pregame show sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast and now we bring in number two he's number one in this segment but number two on the field former kansas state safety and go power cat football analyst marcus watts hello my friend how are you doing today i am well i am well and kansas state is not as well i am really baffled by what happened last week at oklahoma state and we will get into that but first i have some hard-hitting journalism here, I need to ask you a question that will probably be difficult for you to answer. What do you think of the white helmet and white pants as a former player who has worn the silver over silver for many games? <laughs> I mean, it's nice. It looks sharp, you know, but I don't think as a former player, I get too worked up about like, oh, my God, we needed new uniforms or did and you? did it get old wearing the same pants every single game? Yeah. Did you ever wear um, the Ron Prince purple pants? No, thank God. Oh, yeah, <laughs> those those were those were hideous. I'm not gonna. Lie. I mean, I thought about all purple, but how they did the all it didn't match. Yeah, and so it just it didn't look clean either. So, but no, they look nice, and you know, I'm happy that they're starting to branch out and do some different things. 
I know some things are in the works for maybe even later on this year, but you know, we'll see. Would you ever have a helmet without the power cat? I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, the power cat's pretty symbolic of what Kansas State football is and Kansas State University is. I don't think that's something you should take away. Now, maybe every once in a while throw a throwback helmet, you know, maybe with the old power cat or just cats or something like that, I think would be fine. But one or two games, you know, if you're going to wear a throwback uniform, but I wouldn't get away from it. Yeah. I mean, if it was a true throwback, I might do it, but I would leave the power cat on. You'd have to go throwback even with the jerseys. You can't just yeah. go throwback with the helmet. You'd have to go like way old school looking I'm jerseys, kind of like the Packers do when they go their throwback uniforms. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, they threw back to prior days of Kansas State football on Saturday in Oklahoma State when they couldn't run the ball. And it was really troubling to see because this offensive line has been so dominant so far this year, and Oklahoma State isn't known for stopping the run, and they stopped the run against K-State, and it looked fairly easy. It it was a bad sign in my book. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's defense has looked like like garbage. I mean, all year. I mean, thanks to their offense that they they've been able to you know score as many points as they have. So I was I thought K State would have some success moving the ball, especially in the running game. And you know, when you only have to worry about one thing for a team, because K State, you know, without Malik Knowles, has no speed at receiver guys that can't get open unless they're going to get open scheme-wise or motion-wise. They just can't get open on their own. You can just tee off on the running game, and that's all you got to worry about as a defensive lineman and a linebacker. And that's exactly what Oklahoma State did. And if they don't find a passing game that's going to keep teams honest or receivers that can get open, we could see more of that this year or the rest of the year. How would you address that without a true – you know, threat to go deep and get behind a defense and guys that really struggle to get open. How do you address that? What would give you trouble as a defensive back? Teams are going to play probably man to man if they're doing that or, you know, maybe a little bit zone, but I would bunch the receivers up so that, you know, there's, you know, and crisscrossing of routes and stuff so that maybe it'll cause confusion on the defense. The defense, the, the corners or slot yeah. nickelbacks cannot get their hands on the defenders as quickly. Um, and then you can run some short intermediate stuff, but you know, that's kind of the only way or motions, you know, rub routes, those are the type of things that, um, you know, or I think K-State's going to have to utilize because, you know, I was at the game and I was sitting in the stands and, you know, fans were yelling, throw the ball, throw the ball. And I'm like, who do you want them to throw it to? Yeah. Nobody's open. <laughs> so, you know, people get caught up on watching the, the ball and the quarterback and they're not watching what's downfield and stuff. And, these receivers just struggled to get open. And, you know, before the season, I think we talked about that, that they didn't have speed. They didn't, I mean, they had some experience with like Dalton, but you know, Dalton's not very fast no. and you know, he, he's just, he's just a good old, you know, good old receiver that, you know, possession type receiver where he works better, like in the middle of the field and the short intermediate routes, but they got to do something. They got to find something. They got to create ways to, get the ball out of Skyler's hands quick. Uh, and when your running game isn't working, that's very difficult. It is very difficult. And speaking of Skyler, we saw some bad traits from him against Oklahoma State. He kept fleeing the pocket when he really didn't need to. 
run around the edge. He kind of needs to step up in there, and if his receivers can't get open, run straight up the field instead of around the edge where he really exposes himself to faster players closing on him. And then we saw some bad body language from him as the game progressed, some real frustration. He's got to clean that up. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, he's he's still young. Yeah, This is his first year really starting every game and being the guy. Um, he expects a lot of himself. He expects a lot out of his teammates. And so, you know, he was frustrated. I would have been frustrated too um, as an offense. Even as a defensive player, I would have been frustrated with the offense. Like, you know, come on, give us a break here. We need you guys to help us move the ball. Yeah. K-State's best defense is their offense, and he'll work on it. I, you know, I, I chalk it up just one of those games. Um, he's probably got a lot of habit from rolling out because that's what he did a lot last year. Mm-hmm. If something wasn't there, he just ran away, and, you know, maybe they need to run some more running designed runs for him. Mm-hmm. I know we – you know, K-State doesn't want to bang their quarterback, but look, if it's going to work against a 3-5 defense – or any defense, if you can't get the regular running game to work, then you might have to run some quarterback run game to try to loosen up the defense a little bit. Yeah, it's not just about running the quarterback. It's about avoiding the contact and being willing to slide, which K-State hasn't done in the past, but I'm all for it. Get down, get out of the way, and avoid that hit. But, you know, keep that defense honest because the one time they ran Skyler, he picked up about 20 yards and ran out of bounds. It was perfect. The defense for Kansas State gave up a lot of yards, gave up big plays, and yet you look at the scoreboard and it's 26 points. So I ask you this, was that a good defensive performance or a bad defensive performance? It was a bad defensive performance. Yeah, I mean, I, that's how I'm going to say it because anytime Oklahoma State wanted to move the ball, they could, and they could move it down the field as quickly as they wanted to, and they could do it throwing the ball or running the ball. And when we talked about this before the game, they needed to – let Tylen get his yards because he's always going to get his catches and yards. You got to commit to stopping Chuba, and they didn't do that at all. Yes, he had two long runs, but he had almost 300 yards rushing. Yeah. Now, I give them credit that they stuck in there and held them to field goals, but that's also a shorter field, and those spread offenses, it's more difficult mm-hmm. to score in the shorter fields because they're not a power offense. They need space to create plays. And so I expect a defense like K-State, or any defense for that matter, to have more success inside the 20 in the red zone against a spread offense. Uh, and K-State was able to do that and keep the game within reach for pretty much the whole game, even though it was never in reach because K-State's offense couldn't do anything with the ball. Well, that's my other point. I felt like when Oklahoma State kicked four field goals, they just said, this is all we need. I mean, they're not really threatening us so we'll just keep putting points up and and uh we don't feel an urgency that those points have to be touchdowns like they did at texas and when they went for it and honestly didn't get it so mm-hmm. I, I just think k-state's offense didn't pressure oklahoma state enough and they settled for field goals yeah i mean take the points and if, you, yeah. if your defense is dominating and k-state's not showing anything keep doing it i mean there's no reason to press the issue take the three points you know, because if K-State ends up scoring a touchdown, you know you can drive it right down there. And then if you have to go for it on fourth down, you can, then you can go for it on fourth down and try to get a touchdown back. But they didn't need to do that because they had no pressure. Absolutely. Well, Marcus, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Do you think Kansas State gets off the one-game losing trend here and gets back in the win column at home? 
Well, I did pick them to win with our picks. <laughs> and as you can see, I'm in last place, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Well, I'm tied with you, so um, I can commit. Okay. We're, we're just awesome. Um, you know, Baylor surprised me. They've, they've done a very nice job this year. I honestly thought Iowa State would go in there and win that game. But Iowa State is struggling mightily right now, trying to find their identity on offense without David Montgomery there. They don't know what to do. I mean, they ran their offense through him last year, and without him, they're lost, and it shows. Uh, but Baylor's gotten better. Their defense is better. Uh, they got a returning quarterback that has experience, but it's in Manhattan. I think they'll bounce back. I think it was a a good wake-up call for the team. I think maybe they were getting their heads were getting a little bit big that they were winning these games, maybe at, like at Mississippi State, that they nobody picked them to win. Um, gets them back into it to like, yep, we need to keep working. And now it's time to break down the game between the Wildcats and Baylor. And now we continue our preview of K-State and Baylor by bringing in football analyst number two, Brian Hanley, as we dig into this game with the Bears a little bit more. But I asked Marcus Watts about this, so let me ask you. White helmets, white pants, what do you think? I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Change, like we've talked about several times, change is not always a bad thing. And the kids like to do some things that are different. You know, kids just, they, they like that. I mean, it's a different breed. So they just like changing it up a little bit. And not that the old stuff was stale or anything. It was just, this stuff is different. It's new. It's fresh. And kids like that. I like the look of it, too. Yeah, eventually they'll go on the road. I think probably Kansas and mix it that in with their white tops so they'll be all white the ice uniforms yeah. i'm fired up i think the helmet looks really clean with the uh the I white and the purple power cat really, really i do nice. too i think it looks really really good hey if it gives them a little bounce heading into this game i'm all for it because they need the bounce coming off that performance at oklahoma state you've watched baylor a little bit this season what do you think of the bears uh, they're obviously not too bad. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they play they play hard. That's the thing. You know, I don't know that they necessarily have all the Joes. You know, it's all the, the top recruits and the best guys here and there. And, you know, uh, and they're in Texas, so you're going to get good football players, you know, just being in Texas. But they don't have all the top recruits. That's not what Baylor gets. But the, the coach, Coach Rue, he's got them playing very very hard and when you do that i mean they should have i mean they could have easily given up saturday could have easily given up and they did not even when they gave up the lead they fought back and that's all you can ask of a football team so um i think they play very hard i think they for the most part they play smart it's gonna be a tough game we're gonna have to come out and play to win this football game yeah they ran up their offensive numbers against Stephen f austin and texas san antonio that's they, right they scored a combined 44 points in beating rice and iowa state but they won yeah. they seem that's to know right. how to win these games and charlie brewer the quarterback is a big reason this young man knows how to get it done and let his team down the field, set up the winning field goal, and, hey, their kicker finally hit a field goal, and they won. Credit to Charlie Brewer. He's a guy that doesn't 
um, make my eyes go, you know, bulgy with love. But boy, I wouldn't turn him down being my quarterback either. That's exactly right. You know, a guy that just makes the plays that need to be made. You know, that's about as easy as what you can put it. Not going to light your hair on fire. He's not going to set the world on fire. But you know what? To be a college quarterback and win football games, you don't always have to do that if things are going your way. So, and you do things the right way. So it's, it's a tricky game for us One we can win, but a, again, just a tricky game. Yeah, it is really. And it, you know, kind of starts on the Baylor defensive side of the ball where they run that three, three, five, that Oklahoma state showed some of in uh Saturday's game, last Saturday's game, it gave K state problems. They didn't quite have their blocking schemes figured out. What does K state correct as a former offensive lineman for the cats? What do they need to correct in blocking that three man front? Well, the first thing is don't overthink it. I think we overthought it a lot. Hey, just just line up and just run what you run and make them stop it. You know, I don't think that we did that against Oklahoma state. I think we thought, well, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And there were so many times kind of what we talked at the post game, they were lined up with three down linemen and two linebackers. I'm like, run the football. And we didn't do it or we wouldn't shit foot plays. I just think as as an offensive line, they've got to be a little bit embarrassed. Um, and I think that what we just need to do is just line up and go run the football, whether we're running inside zones, outside zones, counters, whatever it is that we want to run, just go do it and make them stop us. Before we change to them, make them stop what we're doing. Yeah, I agree with you. And if Baylor and other teams won't respect the passing game, line up with one or two wide outs and and go heavy and just start pounding it on them. Just make the game, turn it back to the 1950s if you have to. Just make the game ugly and get really aggressive at the point of attack. Um, We'll see what K-State counters with. I'm I'm with you. I think Courtney Messingham outflanked himself there. He, He thought about stuff too much. He put in some stuff that really didn't work very well once Oklahoma State tweaked their defense a bit as they did in the game uh, and then didn't get K-State back into the stuff they should have been running until nope. later in the game. I, I, I'll i be very intrigued to watch Kansas State's play calling. It's going to be something to watch because it was, like I said, you know, you don't want to bash on, on too many things as far as coaching or whatever the case, or even kid, you don't want to do that. But, you know, we got to be honest. It just wasn't a very well-executed football game, and we just need to get back to doing what we did. And that's on both sides of the ball, but especially on the offense, because I believe that our offensive line could have pushed Oklahoma State's offensive line around, and it seemed like we were just back on our heels, and we put ourselves back on our heels. Not so much of what they did. It was so much of what we did. And in this conference – especially when you've got all these teams scoring all these points. If we're going to go and do the things that we do, we just have to go and do it. We can't be back on our heels and trying to react to what they're doing. You're never going to win that way. That's not how you win football games. I I say in this conference, in any conference, we need to go and attack them. And attacking doesn't always mean you have to throw the ball 70 yards down the field. It could be running for four, five, six yards at a time. 
Yeah, I agree. It starts right in the middle of this defense for Baylor. Six foot one, three hundred and thirty-three pound <laughs> senior nose tackle Bravion Roy. He is a load, and he's complimented by James Lynch, a true defensive end for a three-man front at six four, two ninety-five. They actually seem to have the guys to run a three-man front, which is rare in college football. They do. You know, a three-man front, and for people that don't know, is basically it's a read and react. Don't get pushed around. Don't get pushed out of position because you're reading two gaps. They've got the guys to be able to do that. Uh, but they, I mean, they just do. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't natural running lanes in a three-man line. Right. There, there absolutely are natural running lanes that we just need to exploit. Uh, they're going to be there. It doesn't mean that you're having to run into these guys, because I'll be honest, I mean, somebody's that big sitting in the middle, just from experience, even with two guys, it becomes difficult. I mean, it's like moving a fire hydrant. You know, it becomes difficult to move that man out of the way. But there are things that you can do. You can pull. You can block down you know you can run outside zones things of that nature there's things that you can do to make those guys move and make him move especially but they're all three of those those down lines there's things that you can do and there's natural running lanes that are going to be there we just need to exploit them his name's brian hanley he joins me every week on the post-game podcast and on this pre-game podcast but once kansas state and baylor finish up they'll speed back here to the wtc gig powered studios and sit down and give Brian a shout. We'll round it out, our thoughts on the game that just took place. But before I let you go, I asked Marcus Watts this question. Do you think K-State gets back in the winning column? I do. I really do. I think um, part of, of the coaching staff, I think they are going to – I think one of their strengths and not knowing them very well is letting the kids know, hey, we didn't win this week, but don't let last week – beat us this week that's one thing that coach snyder used to stress and i think that's a mark of all good coaching staffs and i believe that we still have one you know don't let one week beat you the next week let's get better let's do the things that we do well and get back to doing it on both sides of the ball on both sides of the ball we can be better and i believe that the kids understand that i think it was a step up in competition that maybe they I don't want to say they weren't ready for it, but maybe they just kind of took for granted and didn't realize how good these guys really, really are and how hard we have to play. And whether that's part of from the coaching staff down or maybe the guys just didn't realize, I don't know, whatever it was, whatever it is, I believe that we are going to be on the right track this week. And I think we get this win. And now we bring in Kelly Stewart, Kelly in Vegas on social media, and she started in the Showtime Series Action, and you can find her at wagertalk.com. And if you need a gambling proxy service, look up Kelly in Vegas proxy service. Oh, and she's a K-Stater and a friend and a swell, swell person. I want to commend you on your handling of uh, Twitter trolls. You inspire me to do it the same way. Because like you... Uh, creepy guys hit on me. Well, that's not true. That's, that's not true at all. You know, you got to take the good with the bad, and at least if you can laugh about it and have fun with it, it yeah. makes it more enjoyable. I've had so many people tell me the last couple of weeks, Kelly, it's so funny. I love reading your timeline, just the things that you have to say. And, you know, like, I'm never going to be mean or hateful or spiteful to these people because that's 
what their job is, but I'm going to poke fun and I'm going to have a little fun at their expense in some way without getting myself in too much trouble. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to do that myself when I don't just ignore. Sometimes you just got to put them on mute. Oh, yeah, there's so many that are on mute. Uh, But some of it is just like you can't help but, you know, send it out. And the new podcast I'm doing with John Murray over at the Westgate called The Kelly and Murray Show is hilarious because this is the first week I'm going to let him read some of these direct messages that I've gotten. Oh, and he's like DM. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. Some of them are the things that people put out for everyone to see are not near as bad as the things that show up in my inbox. And my new thing is. You know, obviously Kansas is not the South, but to pull that Southern charm that I don't really have and just say, oh, bless your heart. I I really hope whatever is causing you to have such a bad day that you decided to reach out to me gets better for you. And like this whole crazy thing. And these dudes, just not one of them has ever responded to that. A couple will delete their message and mm-hmm. just like go completely blank. And it, it becomes so comical because that's really what it is. Right. Why else would you attack another person on social media? for having either a wrong opinion, a wrong game. And then the the best part is, is that on a day like Sunday to have a monster day, how many people ever say thank you or, hey, you killed it? Well, they're not going to because they probably bet against you and then just got absolutely slaughtered. So what are they to say? Yeah, yep, exactly. Well, if you bet K-State last week, you weren't happy no matter whose advice you followed. That would include my own. Woof. I thought K-State would win that game outright. And you knew from probably the first K-State possession it was not a good day. I don't know if we thought they were going to lose. Uh, I would say it was after that first Chuba touchdown run. I was like, okay, this is bad. Um, at least defensively, those those two uh, big runs were what cost us the game, uh, amongst other things. I, I still, I, I just talked about the podcast that I'm on, and John Murray started this hashtag quite a while ago called Kicking Us for Losers. Bill Snyder would absolutely hate it, but it is true. What are we doing kicking a field goal down 20? It's a three-score game. I think at that point, if we would have gotten a touchdown there, there would have been some nice momentum maybe going forward. It's tough. It's tough. I'm not a head football coach. I didn't play football, but you kind of have some questions there. Overall, it was very ugly. Very, very ugly. My opinion, and I'll repeat it here, is that Chris Kleiman was a coach that's never been down 20 in the fourth quarter. He didn't know exactly how to handle that, and he kicked the field goal just to take some points, when really, if you've done the math, you have to go for that to make it a two-score game. That's actually a very fair perception because, wow, I never thought about that. When was the last time he was down 20 in a fourth quarter? I don't know that he ever has as a head coach, but I think they will bounce back against Baylor. Kansas State opened as, what, a a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game? Yep. It slid down. I'm showing uh, minus one right now. I don't know what you've got. I have a good buddy from uh, that went to school in Waco. Chris said, hey, what's our bet? And I go, I'm not betting it. And I go, I'll bet it when it hits a pick And he goes, why? And I go, because the line's already dropping. Um, and that's really just because of the people's lack of faith in Kansas State. You know, here's last week where everybody was sky high on them. Everybody was sky high on them against Mississippi State as well. And then you remember what you saw last. And what we saw last was absolutely and utterly atrocious. I mean, it was not good quarterback play. It was not good defensive play. Um, I, again, as you mentioned, I didn't like the play calling. I wasn't really quite sold on this. Now Sanders and Hubbard for Oklahoma state are good. I knew they were good when they played against Oregon state to start off the season. I had 
all over two touchdowns with Oregon State and was pretty much hating my life for a majority of that game. But these two guys are good. I mean, I'm not sold on the Cowboys probably winning eight games, I would say seven. They're they're a good team. I think they got the best. I think they gave their best performance against K State. I think K State gave their worst performance. Yeah. I think the more frustrating thing is to come out of a bye yep. and to lose in that fashion. Um, and so that's what I think we're seeing with this line move here. Baylor, what we remember last is, hey, I was on Baylor last week. I was on TCU too. And those were a tale of two different teams. TCU kept their foot on the gas and they did not take their foot off KU's throat. And what did Baylor do? They got lazy in the second half. Yep. They let the Iowa State team that we saw last year come in and almost win that game. I'm not sold on Baylor. I don't think Baylor is – I think Baylor's probably a six-win team. I think we're still seeing the Baylor that played the Rice and the other the other schools just kind of uh, not very enthusiastic. I don't, I don't know what to make of Baylor just yet. But, yeah, K-State at home – as a one-point favorite is downright disrespectful. Yep. I made the game three, and I told him, I said, hey, you know, if we can bet the closing line, I'll bet you straight up. I just want K-State to win because I could easily see it being a 21-20 type game, just like we saw in Waco last week, where it's going to come down to whoever kicks the last field goal, somebody misses a PAT, somebody gets late turnover. And that's just, again, because right now I'm just treading lightly again with Kansas State because the mistakes start to mount up. And they came back to bite them. It didn't against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is is a decent football program. No disrespect to them. K-State just took advantage better in Starkville than they did in Stillwater. Yeah, yeah. Kansas State uh, has to rediscover what has been working for them because the Wildcats can't go out and be that flat. And they were flat. I mean, they had their defensive moments, but they gave up a slew of big plays. I find it intriguing also that the over-under on this game is 50. So uh, if it's going to be a really competitive game, as the gambling lines seem to indicate, we're talking about a game in the 20s. Um, and, and that's exactly how I see it as yeah, a game in the 20s. Um, you know, and this is a low total for a Big 12 game. Everybody tends to bet the overs in Big 12 games from what we've seen over the last few years. Lots of high-flying offense. I mean, KU Oklahoma's in the high 60s, just like we saw Oklahoma last week. In the I-60s, Tech and Oklahoma State are in 63. Even Texas, West Virginia in the 60s. So it, it's uh, it's very indicative that we're going to have a lower-scoring game, which I think bodes well for K-State. I agree. You're looking around the Big 12. Um, the most intriguing matchup is TCU at Iowa State because between that game and the Kansas State-Baylor game, we're going to sort out the soft middle of the conference a little bit more. Iowa State's got the three-and-a-half-point favorite tag right now on my lines I'm showing. Uh, pretty much a home field advantage line right there. But you talk about 50 being low. The over-under I'm showing is 44.5. And, boy, that's uh, that's a low total of points for a Big 12 game. Yes, it is. And I think it's going to be ugly. I'm not sure I want any part of this game. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, TCU, I laid the 15 with them last week. They beat the bricks off KU, and that was nice. Now, we have to remember, again, what we're starting to see is where the overreaction. Did Iowa State have to come back in that second half to have a chance to beat Baylor? Absolutely. TCU got to beat the team that beat them last year, Lawrence. Now they're going to to Ames. I don't know what the weather's going to be like in Ames. I haven't got that far with my handicapping yet, but I have a feeling – it's not going to be pretty. Lots of uh, places up north are getting snow, so it might be windy. It may be ugly. 
uh, come kickoff at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. I lean towards Iowa State here. I'm not, I'm not rushing to back this team just yet, but, you know, this is a – Oklahoma was minus 35 against KU and I was going to take KU plus 35. It started down to 33 and I'm going, this is why you got to bet early and often. Mm -hmm. We may see the public come back in on Oklahoma. We may not, but uh, look for that to be too many points for Oklahoma to probably care about when uh, guess who they have on deck, Texas. Yeah. So keep, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that one. I, I'm of the theory that Oklahoma won't be able to help itself from scoring and get that above 32, 35 points. I think KU is about. And they may not. And, and, you know, but, you know, we've seen, we've seen before where starting quarterbacks get pulled. Nobody wants to get hurt. I got, especially the week before your big 12 rival. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to hang tight on this one, but my favorite game this week is West Virginia. Way too many points. Right. Texas before the Rev River what are we going to call it? Rivalry now, not even the shootout anymore. Yeah, it's, uh, that's too 2019, violent. we can't yeah. call it the shootout. Yeah, it's too violent. Um, yeah, it's too many points. I'm going to be on West Virginia plus 11. And honestly, it's going to be a closer game than I originally thought. I really believe that West Virginia is going to be able to keep this one real close. It's an intriguing day in the Big 12. You look around, first of all, it's our first full slate of Big 12 games. All 10 teams are going at it with each other in five games. You've got two home teams that are basically getting the home field bump, uh, and, and that's really about it. In fact, KSU at only minus one is probably less than that now. And then Iowa State at yeah, three and a half. Well, and then the other, the other three road, road favorites. It's really amazing. Yeah, I think what a lot of people really don't realize about this Kansas State team is that, at least for myself, and I've talked to other people, of in a noon-type game and a night game, not the 9 a.m. game so much, but those games where we have time to tailgate, we have time for people out of town to get there, and so on, they're louder. I make K-State's home field advantage of four and a half and sometimes a five. Mm -hmm. So something to consider there, that's basically saying on a neutral field, if we played Baylor in Kansas City, for example, Baylor would be about a three-point favorite. So something to consider, and I, I wouldn't make Baylor a three-point favorite on a neutral field. I'd make the game a pick em. Right. So K-State's not getting much love from the bookmakers this week. They're not getting much love from the public. Um, as far as any sharp guys, I haven't heard of anything awesome coming in, but you can bet I'm on West Virginia and probably will end up on KU. I find Oklahoma State at minus 10 at Texas Tech is a little bit high, too. I'm not. Yes. I, I, I find it hard to believe Tech's going to lose by more than 10 points at home. Well, you have to consider that, right? So here's this Oklahoma State team. Now they're in the top 25. Look what they just did to K-State. Look what they've been able to do over this past couple of weeks. Tech just got beat up. 55-16 at Oklahoma. What's the drop-off difference between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma? I would say it's a considerable amount. 10 points on the road, yeah. You're you're laying a premium there this week. I, I'm looking right now at my numbers. I made the game 9 I wouldn't be surprised to see this one tick up a few more points. So if you like tech, just hang tight because it, it, I don't see much love coming in for the Red Raiders. Well, very good stuff from our friend Kelly Stewart out in Vegas. And when she says 9 a.m., she's talking Pacific time. The games are at 11. <laughs> don't panic. She just lives in Vegas, which is a whole different world. 
I do. It is a whole different world. Yeah. Don't mind us out here on the West Coast. Very good, Kelly. I appreciate it very much. An intriguing day of games in the Big 12 coming up on Saturday. And that brings to a conclusion this PowerCat pregame podcast as we prepare you for K-State and Baylor, 2.30 p.m. Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. We heard from the K-State experts from the Go Paracat staff. We then heard from Tim Watkins from the 24-7 Baylor site. And then, of course, we brought in our Go Paracat analysts, Marcus Watts, Brian Hanley, and Kelly Stewart to give their thoughts, their perceptions as the game draws near. And now it's time for my final score as we put a bow on this preview. Last week I thought would be a shootout in Stillwater. It was far from that. I think K-State recovers from a shoddy performance, but don't look for a lot of points as the defenses rule the day in this game. I have K-State winning this game 27-20. And that will do it for this week's preview. Remember, we offer you a podcast every day of the week at GoPowerCat.com throughout football season. We will catch up with you on Friday with our overtime session and then again Saturday evening as Brian Hanley joins me for a postgame podcast after the Bears meet the Wildcats. You've been listening to the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.